it was like, oh my God, I have transcended humanity. I have everything that I Mm -hmm. want. I have everything that I need. So I had like the perfect body. I had the look. um, I had the partner. I had, like, I was okay at my job. And all, all the glitter was there. And it has never been worse to be me. Like it had mm. never been more brutal. And the the cycles of like depression and sadness and self-hatred and self-criticism. It's that thing you're like, oh, once I get there, I'll feel this. No, you won't. Because of the end, if who you were being on the road to getting that small was mm. driven by like the fossil fuel of hatred and that kind of level of self-criticism, of course, you're never going to arrive anywhere where it's peaceful. Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. Welcome back. I feel so incredibly lucky that my path has crossed with our guest, Iona Holloway. Iona is the best-selling author of this incredible book that I'm like so deep into right now called Ghost, Why Perfect Women Shrink. This book is totally rocking my world. I will have the link in the bio. I highly recommend reading it. And Iona's a coach, a speaker, she's a breathwork teacher and creator of the Soul Breathwork app. And breathwork has been new to my world really since June, and it is my number one go-to tool. And today I got to experience a session with Iona before this call a few hours ago, and it was such clarity comes to me through these sessions. So it was this perfect combination of, I felt like I was floating and this ease, not even just within my mind, but within my entire body, like just this energy moving through my whole body. But then I had such mental clarity after the session that I've never really experienced. I don't think I've ever done a breath work experience and then tried to use my brain in that way after. And so it was just so powerful. And I cannot wait to share her with all of you. So welcome, Iona. How are you? I'm great. What an intro. Uh, (laughs) I'm very happy to be here. And that feeling of clarity, I think about it like I suddenly see the world in HD. Yes. So it's suddenly like there's a million more pixels available to me. My senses are heightened and I'm just like cutting through things in a way that I don't normally. And I'm excited to talk about that maybe too, along with everything else we're talking about. Because I think perhaps people know things like meditation or breath work or healing modalities as healing modalities. And they're great for that. Mm -hmm. But I love also using breath work as like a creativity power tool. Uh, it's how I, one of the tools I use to write my book and be able to write it in a, I think, vulnerable and hopefully powerful way. So there's so many use cases for it. I think it's a real Swiss Army knife for life. I can say that better myself. I'm just experiencing 
all of the different facets of it and the different ways of whether it's moving emotion through my body or helping me release things or whatever that looks like. And then this is a new piece for me today. So I'm I'm really grateful to have had this session with you today. And I cannot recommend enough that everyone goes and follows you on Instagram. We'll have all your all your stuff, your details in the link in the bio in our show notes as well. So let's start with young Iona. Sure. I like to start at the beginning and just paint us the picture of what were you like as a child and what was your relationship like with your emotions? Oh, yeah, sure. So I think if you asked any adult who was around (laughs) during my childhood who knew Iona, they would probably say I was complicated and smart. I got these things a lot, the interplay of, oh, she's so good at these things. And also, oh, she's a wee bit of a black sheep. She's a wee bit contrary. She's a wee bit kind of oppositional, kind of flowing against the grain. That would, I was like, my grandpa used to call me contrary Mary. And he would say Mm. things like, she's been here before. (laughs) <laughs> and he would sort of compare me to my other siblings, not in, a, not in a cruel way, just in a comparing way, that they were much more smiley and bright and friendly. And I wasn't not these things, but I was a wee bit more dark and brooding in the corner mm-hmm. and perhaps a bit more introverted. So that's the way that I was. And then when you ask what my relationship was like with my emotions, well, one, I have no idea what that even meant, I'm sure, at that time. I honestly don't think I had a relationship with my emotions until I was 29 and realized Mm -hmm. I needed to do some very deep healing work. But I'll say this, very quickly, I grew up into a woman, young girl, and then young woman, and now I'm a woman, um, with the darkest of thoughts, a deep feeling of like, it is really hard work to be me and or to to maintain this facade of being perfect. And those aren't feelings. Those are Mm -hmm. more thoughts that I had about myself. My thoughts I had was I was a gift. I was this kind of almost like prodigy-like person. That was the standard to which I thought I was. That was who I was. That was my identity. Iona, the smart person. Iona, the gifted person. Iona, the international athlete. Iona, the student athlete. Like I was all these external things, and the standard was it's perfect. And so those were the thoughts, and then the pressure that created in me was one where it was not a fun place to live. It was not a kind place to live. It was a pretty dark place to live, and. Ultimately, it turned into like a real embodied war that came through food and body. Mm -hmm. So you were labeled special and different, like right out of the gate. And you also were trying to create this illusion. Not you were trying. It was the world you were in. If I'm hearing it correctly, that it had to also like look easy. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The ease had to be assumed. Mm -hmm. And again... These are such, I love that we're talking about these things because it's so interesting to apply wisdom in hindsight. Mm-hmm. I just, and like at the time we don't have, obviously like one, we're children and we're evolving. Two, we're evolving based on the tools that we have. That's whatever it is that we have. But in my little mind, 
it had to look easy. In my mind, on the surface of it, it had to look that I was just a swan gliding across the glassy Mm -hmm. lake, killing it, basically, like for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word. Just like A's here, top of the class here, best at this, best at that, winning this, painting this, winning that competition. Like that was it. The standard was that. And now, like in hindsight, I can look at it and see the perfectionism trap that is the black and white world that I was living in, the pressure that that put on me, how that ended up coming out through the way that I tried to manage the way I looked and in my body and and with food and all that kind of stuff. But at the time, I was just being Iona. Mm. I was playing the role of Iona. And that role was one of being like the gifted child. Yeah. Mm. It almost feels like it must have been a lonely existence as well. Like that you were this illusion of being separate from everyone and everyone in your family and probably all the other kids at school as well. Was it a lonely feeling? Yeah. And I think at times it felt lonely. At times it felt just totally normal. I think that's mm-hmm. the other thing about being a kid. Like you're so resilient yeah. and you sort of roll with things. I wasn't sad. Like I wasn't outwardly a sad child. It's more that there was a lot of pressure inside. And then ultimately I became someone who was very numb and locked down because I was just doing so much suppression of those things. But I definitely felt like there wasn't anyone that I could really talk to about things. Yeah. And then again, this is not criticism of parents. Parents are who they are and do what they what they do and they do the best. Um they can. But I wasn't raised in a a home where we talked about emotions. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really like verbally told I was loved ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that's interesting for me, and I know this is different for other people, but it wasn't even that my parents were verbalizing the pressure. It just like all of the ease just felt assumed. Like all of the expectation just felt assumed. It, on the outside, it was like I had the least pressurizing parents in the world. Yeah. But it was the intense pressure that I felt within me. And that's why mm-hmm. I'm a big believer, obviously, that we become conditioned. We come into the world and like the water we drink has a huge impact on the way we think and feel about ourselves. But I also think that we come into the world the way we are, like in on some level. That's why like I call the breathwork capsule. Because I believe in that. I believe we all come in this kind of bundle of something. And then that in and of itself, the way that it expressed in the world, we're just probably going to experience our own set of different challenges. And that's why I think sometimes you can meet other people in the world and you'd be like, oh my God, your life is mine. Like, because you kind of have this same curriculum (laughs) that you're working through. And then you meet other people who are dealing with a whole other set of things. But I do like to think about it that way. Like, I do think there's so much impact that our upbringing has on us. And then I also think that we kind of come in the way we are and we're supposed to be adventuring. Yeah. And sometimes we have to get into pain in order to heal and really become more of who we are. Hmm. Yeah. I fully believe that. 
as my path and my journey as well. And you mentioned about your upbringing. Now that you've been in America, so you have this beautiful accent, so people are probably wondering where you're from. Being Scottish, and is that how you would define yourself? Oh, yeah. As well? Yeah. And was there a cultural difference of the way they experience emotions versus now what you've seen in America? And also, you know, it's years and years later, but is there some cultural differences of processing of emotions? Absolutely. And this is where I also, like, I want to be careful of like sort of globalizing my personal yeah. experience of the whole of Scotland, tiny <laughs> country, but the whole of Scotland. But I'll say this, we are an oppressed nation in the sense that like our history is one of being dominated by the English. That is baked into the people. Mm-hmm. Like again, not whether it's uns- unspoken or otherwise, you see this all over the world in different nations and the way that like it's in the lineage of the people, it's in the culture of the people. And it just so happens that the way that the Scottish <laughs> have adapted to what we've been and who we've become is to be like wildly cynical and very sarcastic. <laughs> like that's kind of that's kind of it. Uh, we trade. At, like I think I'm quoting a comedian when I say this, and I can't remember who it is, but he did a skit where he's like, "The Scots they just trade in sheep and threats, just like <laughs> sheep and threats." Like that's yeah. and that was the currency of my upbringing. It was this very dry humor. It was this like kind of like the world sucks and like mm. it's so hard and all that kind of stuff. That was really the way that I was that was in the water let's say I was like we're swimming in the water that was the water that I was swimming in and I think again to go back to this I believe in souls and I believe we kind of come in my soul interacting with that expressed as someone who was very sarcastic very nihilistic very dark and that combined with the way that life felt was just like a very intense combination of things and then, oh my goodness, see when I, so I moved to the US when I was 20 and I was in a very dark place at the time. I just dropped out of art school. I was feeling very lost and and I was very much struggling with food and body in like really, really horrible ways at that time. I got this, it was like, talk about sliding door. A woman who used to coach me came into my cafe, offered like for a crap like do you creep and she she was like oh are you still playing hockey there's this opportunity I know this coach in in Syracuse New York <laughs> who they're looking for a left-sided player would you be interested boom 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 three months later I've got a full ride to play division one I didn't even know what that meant at Syracuse University and we were top four in the country none of this I had no idea what any of it was but I'll tell you this one when I landed in Syracuse I was shocked because I thought I was going to live in New York City so that was <laughs> disappointing any of us from Syracuse can say that it's a very different place than New York City mm-hmm. oh, oh my god so there was that and then I was just blown away by the way that people were hmm. and I'll say and it wasn't in a good way yeah mm-hmm. it was in a very confusing way because on one part people seemed really happy People mm-hmm. seemed really open. Hi. Oh my goodness. Hi, Iona. You're so cool. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, there was this kind of in vibration level that was just a whole 
very much higher. Like if mm-hmm. I like to think about emotions, they have sort of depth and height. Mm-hmm. It was much higher. But the way that I felt interacting with it, it felt entirely fake. Oh, yeah. It mm-hmm. felt very, very fake. So for example, someone would say, how are you doing? And I would be like, oh, and I would start speaking and they're off. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, uh, or doors. So even like in, in like the vocabulary, people would say you would hold a door and then you'd say thanks. And they'd say, yep, to my ear, it just sounded like the most dismissive and rude thing that I'd ever heard. And now I say it. I'm like, oh, God, mm-hmm. cringe. Um, but it's just like it's, it was so interesting. It was so mm-hmm. interesting to come here. And it was so interesting for me to see the way that parents were in their daughter's life. It seemed like, and again, this was my sort Mm -hmm. of microcosm as an athlete at Syracuse, but parents were loving their children. But in this, not in a way, again, I'm saying I was particularly jealous of, it seemed very odd to me. There was like a lot of enmeshment, a lot of what will my parents think? A lot of calling the parents to ask. A lot of the parents making phone calls on the... Ch- I was like, what? It seemed mm-hmm. very enmeshed. And there seemed like a lot of love. But there also seemed like a lot of, you're what we want you to be. Which mm-hmm. again, like I think is not localized to anywhere. I think that's part of many people's upbringings. But that's a long way of saying it was very odd. <laughs> It still yeah. is odd. It still is an odd thing for me sometimes to see the American culture. Even though mm-hmm. I've been here for such a long time now, I'm married to an American. I've been here almost like my whole adult life. Mm-hmm. But And there's great things about it and also things I'm like, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> I really relate to that lack of presence, that lack of, I don't even know what I would call it, but I know exactly what you're speaking to of that we're so detached from what we're actually feeling that when someone asks you how you're doing and it's like, oh, does this person really want to know or not? And I now sometimes use that language when somebody asks me something, I'll say, do you really want the real answer or do you just want to move <laughs> right. on? Right? It's like, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I even think that that's a cool thing to be able to say to someone. I've been thinking about this a lot recently. It's like, do you say with friends, especially as like as someone who's a coach? Yeah, people are. It's not that I don't. I don't believe the relationship between me and my clients is one of advice giving. It's like we know each other, and I call it mirror. So I'm always I'm reflecting Mm. back. I'm always thinking, can I reflect this back from a different angle or provide a different perspective or read through the what you're saying and see the patterns of it and perhaps we can uncover a blind spot like I'm not giving advice but it's interesting to be with them friends and they're talking about something and they're clearly struggling with it right Mm -hmm. and I so easily now slip into coach mode and I realize (laughs) that often friends do not partners friends do not (laughs) want that so then it's like, do you want me to hear you or do you mm-hmm. want do you want like advice? Because yeah. you'll get a very different version of me and I have learned that and it makes sense because like when I experience this on my end, I'm like, back the fuck off. Like I'm still I'm processing this. Leave yeah. me alone. 
Um, you just need to get it out. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, are you a space or are you actually ref- like reflecting mm-hmm. something back? One's passive. Well, not passive, but like one's you're like, and one's you're leaning in. And I think it's good to ask, like, it's clear communication yeah. to ask people, what do you want? And even that's not something that like, when would you ever have been taught that? Oh my God. It, it, especially when I first became a coach. Yeah. My husband would say to me like, okay, no, stop coaching me. Right. And so now with him, I rarely go into coaching mode, but with friends, I will ask that question of, do you want me to just listen or do you want feedback? Where, you know, where are we at with this? And so, and I'm very conscious of not coaching my friends like not changing that experience oh yeah it doesn't end well it's not (laughs) it's not a good thing yeah it's a weird thing it's complicated though because you love you love your people and you can probably see it right you can see like oh here's the blind spot like let me show you yeah you Mm -hmm. see it you can be like oh i'll collapse that timeline for you real quick if i just say this yeah but then they like then you're in the in the bad book. <laughs> and I get it. And I get it. Yeah, and then also, yeah. I say that not as someone who's like, all seeing and all knowing. I'm so blind to my own stuff. You know, 100%. <laughs> like, that's, that's the reality of being in your life and in your stuff. And that's why cultivating awareness of the fact that all of the things that we think and feel are not us but rather things that we're experiencing and that are giving us information or messages or that kind of stuff. Even that, like, I can't tell you, I'm probably, you're the same. Like the day that I realized that I was not my emotions and I was the Mm. space that my emotions existed within. I've heard this so many times, a million times everywhere now at this point, but I'm telling you four years ago when I actually got told that and then practiced that for a week, blew my mind. Yeah. Blew yeah. my mind. <laughs> I'm new to the game as well. Like, this is the reason I have this podcast. The reason that I am doing this work is because I needed this work. Like, yeah. it has yeah. taken me so long to figure it out for myself. So, you get to Syracuse and you're even shinier because now you're here in this country where you're the only one who has that accent probably on your team. So, you're mm. having this experience. So, walk us through. What does that look like from 20 to 29? What is that until you have yeah. this really awakening? What does that journey look like for you? Yeah. Here, I felt, you're right, I felt like an like, exotic flamingo. Mm. I was this cool, it wasn't that I was uncool at home. I, I was a Scottish person living in Scotland. And, and obviously like someone who was doing well at things, but you know, whatever. But here, there was this sort of exotic quality to being Scottish. And I would say even now, I think people often work with me because they're drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's, it's all, because I mean, it's part of who, it's part of who I am. Um, but to answer your question, well, first of all, actually being in Syracuse at first was incredibly hard for me because the first time, this was the first time in my life that I was on the bench. So I mm. wasn't actually good enough to play. I was bottom feeder big time like I was mm-hmm. so not good and um, relative to the other people um on the team but I learned very quickly that I was going to get on that field it wasn't a case of me not having the skills it was simply a fitness issue like the conditioning is different like standard wise at home compared to here mm-hmm. and this interacted 
powerfully and very destructively with the ways that I was already using exercise to control my body. So to give context for anyone who's listening, um, I started restricting a lot of my food from a very young age. And then over my teenage years, I got really trapped in the whole binge starve cycle. But I wasn't someone who was using purging to eliminate food from me. I couldn't ever do that. I'll, maybe this is a uh, this is a complicated thing to say, but mm-hmm. I wished I could. I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also was very, just to be honest, I was very jealous of people who were presenting with anorexia. Because it was like they were able to do something that I just wasn't able to do. So anyway, the way that I was able to manipulate myself was exercise. And so that was what I ended up doing. So I was able to use it very successfully at points in my life to get myself very small. But actually, for most of my 20s, it wasn't I was particularly small. It was just it became the way that I tried to control myself, release the pressure, like all that kind of thing. So while I was at Syracuse, the thing that got me onto the field, the thing that made me an All-American, the thing that made me a good player was this brutal, brutal use of of exercise. It made me brilliant. It destroyed me. It made me Mm. brilliant. It destroyed me. And so when I left, graduated from Syracuse, one, I'll tell you what it's like for your identity to dissolve in a minute. There is nothing harder than the last game that I played for Syracuse as this brilliant athlete. I mean, sure, it was field hockey. It's not like I was going to the NBA or anything like that. But for me, it was my whole life and it was gone in a minute. And I was so lost. I had no purpose. I had like nothing that I could focus on. I totally lost all of that. And I ended up moving to New York City, the real one, <laughs> and, st- and filling the void with CrossFit. So I found my way into CrossFit. And this is no, I actually think CrossFit's a really cool movement. And I think that they do actually a really good job of community and pulling people together and all that kind of thing. But again, it was a perfect place for me to go and hide in plain sight, a perfect place for me to go and get all of the validation for all of my hard work. And this was something that was interesting because in all other aspects of my life, I wanted to look easy. But the one place where I was more than happy for people to see me Mm -hmm. openly killing myself with intensity was at the gym. And I loved it. And during that time, I got way better at shrinking. So Mm -hmm. I actually, over that time, evolved into having this body that was just especially within the the context of the community that I was in and then outside I would be stopped on the street and like I'm a well we're all beautiful in our own way but I was never the one that people were like oh my god Iona she's like so stunning or she's so beautiful so I can't tell you what it was like to get stopped on the street because of my body it was like oh my god I have transcended humanity I have everything that I Mm -hmm. want I have everything that I need so I had like the perfect body I had the look and I had the partner I had like I was okay at my job and all all the glitter was there and it has never been worse to be me (laughs) like it had Mm. never been more brutal and the the cycles of like 
depression and sadness and self-hatred and self-criticism. It's that thing you're like, oh, once I get there, I'll feel this. No, you won't. Because of the end, if who you were being on the road to getting that small was mm. driven by like the fossil fuel of hatred and that kind of level of self-criticism, of course, you're never going to arrive anywhere where it's peaceful. Yeah. So by the time I got to 29, I had barely had a period in a decade. I The binge and starve cycles had become so extreme. I could no longer maintain the combination of the two. I could eat up to 10,000 calories in one sitting. That was how mm-hmm. hung, the hungry, the hunger didn't even feel human. It felt primal. It felt mm-hmm. like, like it was just taking over. I could no longer be compliant to my diets. I used to be able to go like months compliance, like macros checked, weighing myself. I couldn't, like it just, I'd lost it. And so got to 29 and then found out that I was going to be a aunt to my mm-hmm. niece. Mm-hmm. And that combined with just like really being in the pit of it, like so dark, like the deepest well, something had to change. <laughs> something had to change. And I talk about this in Ghost. And I don't wish a rock bottom or a reckoning on anyone, but I love the hell out of that moment because Mm -hmm. it forced so much clarity. It forced so much anything but this. And it let me, in whatever way I needed to be, be open to something else coming in to not save me, but like to, I was open. So suddenly like inner work, give it to me. Inner child work, give it to me. <laughs> Medi- like visualization, okay. Parts work, somatic work, all of these like slightly, I'd had a really bad experience with therapy and I don't say that to smear therapy. I know that there's mm-hmm. brilliant ones, but I had a really bad time with that. And I'm also kind of weary of the over-medicalizing of mental mental illness. I don't believe I had a mental illness. I believe I had a coping strategy. But anyway, I ended up going this sort of more coaching-based inner work way to things. Breathwork came in at a certain point, and I will never forget, it was only three months after I'd started doing inner work. I remember waking up one day Mm -hmm. and actually being happy to be me, Mm -hmm. and it was one of these like, oh my God, something Mm -hmm. has shifted. Something has shifted, and it was ever since... I mean, not ever since then, but it was like, oh, fuck, this works. Oh. I'm going to keep doing this. <laughs> was the binging in relation to numbing your emotions? And like, what was that emergence of you've spent 29 years of your life not feeling the things? And mm-hmm. then what was that like to start to all of a sudden allow yourself to feel? Yeah, yeah. It definitely like it was a huge numbing thing. I think also it was in some way, still is. Like that's the interesting thing. I think when you've had coping strategies, like or ways that have been very destructive, say even today, it's still the thing, the first thing that pops into my mind if I'm feeling mm-hmm. like a wee bit, and uh, maybe not the first thing, but it'll slip in. Like oh, let's eat something, <laughs> mm-hmm. or let's not eat something. Like I'm not immune to those thoughts. But to answer your question, I think it was twofold. I think that. I did use food to numb, but there was also, I think, for me, there was a biological imperative 
to the binges because I was really not eating enough. And I was training three, four, multiple times a day. And so Mm -hmm. I think sometimes the binging was literally just, I have to eat, (laughs) I have to eat. Like there was a kind of biological imperative to it. So when I, this was actually, I'll be honest about this. I mean, I'm being honest about everything, (laughs) but when I started healing, I didn't try to fix my binging. Mm. I didn't try to fix that. What I did commit to was I'm no longer going to compensate. So if I binge, I'm not going to compensate on the back end. So I'm just going to continue to eat my next meal. And I'm going to eat probably a wee bit more than I would. And I'm not going to track anything. And Mm -hmm. so I didn't try to fix the binging. I let it still be there even when it happens. And even that, see, even like the permission to just let that be okay, as opposed to this problem that I was fighting, even that depressurized it to the point where, I don't say this lightly, but it's almost like it healed itself Mm -hmm. when I just let it sit there. Yes, there were loads of things I did. I was at that point where I kind of had to we're going to try to eat everything. We're going to allow ourselves to eat everything. We're going to give ourselves permission to do all of it. Mm-hmm. And I followed, I didn't have coaching around that. I literally followed intuitive eating, the book. Mm. And I read The Fuck It Diet, two books I highly recommend for anyone who's in anywhere similar, just a complicated relationship in your body. You don't have to be where I was to get a lot out of both those books. But the food stuff, bizarre, not bizarrely, but like interestingly, almost started to self-heal as I began to sit with my actual emotions. And one of the big portals for me, and this is, I don't like that word, but like one of the ways in for me, one of the most powerful ways in for me was inner child work, like Mm. sitting with the younger version of me. Because even though like I really struggled to love the older version of me, Mm-hmm. I liked myself. I even in my darkest moments, I know I've got a good thing going here. Mm. There's cool stuff about me. Like I've always known that, and there's all there's things that I know. Like I'm good at that, yeah. without actually having to work. I'm good at that. So I did actually have some underpinning of like she was pretty cool. Like mm-hmm. she's a nice person. <laughs> like she was a, not a nice person. She was a cool person, and I love her. Mm. Or at least I'm going to learn to grow to love her. And doing that kind of reparenting within myself and just giving myself the permission to feel the grief of how much pain I'd manufactured in my life. And I really, it was like learning the alphabet at 29. Like I had to learn what it felt like to feel a sensation in my body. I've numbed mm-hmm. out so much of that, especially from dieting and overriding my hunger sensations, that my interoception, like the sort of internal sense of my body was so numb, so quiet, like everything was so quiet, sensation wise, emotion wise, and I wasn't even allowed to have them. That was the other thing. I was like, we don't have time for this. Like yeah. we have to go to the gym and get rid of this feeling by just burying ourselves in a hole. So I had to relearn all of that from a sense-based perspective from attunement to seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, visualization, inner child work. And it wasn't complicated, but it did require commitment. 
I really had to practice. It was an everyday, mm-hmm. it was an everyday thing before it became anything near natural. Mm. In your book, I've read a lot. <laughs> My whole house is just full of different versions of self-help books and memoirs. And your book, it allows this space. What you talk about, the inner child process, you share it with us in its simplest form. Like when, when I was reading the book, I was like, this is so easy and simple that I can do this right now. Like it was mm-hmm. just so beautiful how you shared how you shared it in the way that anybody could pick up the book. And if that's their first moment of connecting with their inner child, like it was beautiful. So thank you for that. And I would love to read up a couple paragraphs from the book if you're okay with it. Okay. I've actually never done this before on the (laughs) podcast. I've never read somebody's work, but I have highlighted so much in this book. I got it like on a Kindle version that I had to make multiple colors of the intensity (laughs) of like, I have three different colors going on. So blue was like, this is it. So you say, energy is never destroyed, only redirected. Emotions are no different. Stuffing, swallowing, or suppressing a short-term solution for masking long-term terror. A band-aid on a bullet wound. A moment of nothingness. Temporary relief before the blood starts seeping through. By ignoring our emotional pain, ghost women think we are dealing with it. We are not dealing with it. Our bodies become a living and breathing museum of crimes against the self, a revelry of abandonment, a scrapbook of betrayals. The ghost woman's ignored feelings, traumas, and desires don't go anywhere. Emotional pain sits in our bodies and over time compacts and morphs together in the same way a volcano erupts and settles into itself. Wounds upon wounds upon wounds, never cleaned, never aired, never healed. The suppression of emotion is a sickness. Feelings rot and fester inside us. The beast we've drugged for years grinds awake and starts hurling herself against the bars of our cage. Our emotional pain has to surface in some way. Our beast finds new throats to roar her wrath. Stifled emotions manifest physically. Sore throats, bloodthirsty periods, digestion problems, constricted breathing, never-ending colds, allergies, breakouts. The emotional pain we've swallowed starts leaking poison into ourselves. Our bodies writhe and bubble. thank you oh yeah the wildest thing about that is i can't even remember writing it of course yeah yeah you did i'm i'm positive you wrote that but yeah Yeah. i mean i can remember writing it but i can't remember writing it and yeah so how do you find your way how do you for anyone listening that has been to that dark night of the soul the reckoning whatever you call it how do you find your way out well, what a big question. <laughs> I think the the one thing I know to be true, having seen it in my own life, witnessing it in other people, those who I've worked with or not, like in, you know, in different capacities in my life, is the desire for it to be different has to be yours. So the ember, even if it's a tiny one, the ember, the fire of anything but this is not something that can be outsourced. Someone can't love you into it. 
someone can't tell you yeah. that you have to, that kind of has to rise up from has to rise up from within you. And that's why I think that sometimes we see it in other people, we're like, wake up, wake up, wake mm-hmm. up, wake up. And I believe so strongly that there is a timeline for everyone's journey. And I was ready when I was ready. There's stages of readiness. And I was ready when I was ready for the big healing that I had to, that I really had to do. When you're coming from like real not self into Mm -hmm. something resembling more of who you actually are, uh, I really think one, you have to get leveled. It's almost like your life Mm -hmm. has to level you. And then you have to have the desire for it to be different. And then from that place, and this now applies in all, like I no longer have to do big healing excavations because I've healed a lot of the old stuff. Obviously, we're never fully healed. It rises (laughs) up still. But now more through the lens of like in my relationships or even in my business or in my like when I'm trying to do things like that, it's more of a nuanced kind of thing because it's not like this deep, deep unhealed pain. It's more like just remnants of things. But the consistent thread between around all of that is, can I be open enough in this experience to really pull who I am, the witness of all of this, apart from the thoughts and the feelings that are arising? Can I become just the most expert practitioner at observing my experience because if you have or you're able to cultivate awareness of that if you're able to sit behind it all that's why I love breath work as a as an experience or just even it's like I feel like you go through your whole life meditating really if you're just like I'm just going to fall behind the feeling I'm just going to fall behind the thought I'm just going to fall behind the feeling <laughs> I'm just going to fall like that like over and over and over again is such a general that's not the right word like that generalizes across a whole life where you can just be so much more aware of what it is that you're feeling and then I think the last thing I would say is certainly didn't have these when I was growing up kind eyes like kind eyes for yourself Mm. because if you can look at yourself your experiences what's going on from kind eyes as in like I'm here and I'm sitting down beside myself and I'm trying to take care of myself as opposed to standing on the opposite side of the room, 10 feet tall, saying, you're a disaster. You mm-hmm. suck. Like this, like that. So I, I kind of call it like a softening. And sometimes people are like, I don't want to soften. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> kind eyes then. Like, can we look at yeah. ourselves with kind eyes? Because again, universally applied makes for... It's like a, it's just such a valuable tool to have. Mm. I love that. I haven't heard that before in that way. The kind eyes. Mm. Let's talk about breath work. How did breath work come in? Like when did that come in on your journey? Yeah, I love this question because people ask me all the time, like, was it something you did right at the beginning? And it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I didn't actually do breath work maybe until like six or nine months in and even then it was a very short experience 
I ended up finding breathwork through a coaching program that I was then, you know, you do this work, it changes your life. You're like, I need to share it with the world. <laughs> like I did not have a unique thought. I just was like, I need to, oh my goodness. Like yeah. I need to do this. And it also felt for me personal as like a woman that presents as strong or athletic, not not so, not hyper feminine, like just who I am. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn, like I know there are so many people like me out there I'm going to assume <laughs> and that actually my voice could be very valuable and I and it wasn't even conscious at that time I was just sharing from my experience because literally my life went from hell to I would say heaven I don't believe in heaven but like hell to something else mm-hmm. just so it was so drastic so anyway I ended up signing up for a coaching program and through that there was some breath work and then the opportunity to become trained in breath work and I just remember having these experiences where I would, again, like it wasn't that I hadn't done any healing, so I had some awareness of that, but I would lie down and have these experiences where I'd never been, it was like I was, like it was that HD electric, deep love for myself, like deep awareness around things. These like ideas would pop into my head and always remember this one session where this like thought just I don't I'm saying it rose up for me I know where it came from but it just arrived in me and it said Iona you have a huge capacity to hold that was it Uh you have a huge capacity to hold Mm -hmm. and I still come back to that because the thing about breathwork is it brands these thoughts because they're from the body brain like it locks them in and it makes them feel like so hd in the way that sometimes when we think about things, we're like, oh my goodness, that was a great idea. Or I love that thought. And then, you know, it just flies away like a bird. But there's something about the way that breath work, because you're in your, I call it your body brain. Like you're speaking your body's language, you're in your body brain, you're wildly present, and it like brands the experience. And so it becomes this living memory within you of something. And I just have loads of those now. (laughs) I'm like, oh, I have a huge capacity to hold. Oh my yes. God, like I'm, I am love. Or yes. I'm okay. Even. I am enough. Like, my first one I, was, I yes. am enough. My first yes. one. You're so right. Nobody has ever, I have not heard that that way ever. And I have meditated for a long time and have done some really intense meditations. And this is totally different for me. You're, you're right. I can't remember things that I experienced meditation-wise, maybe something here and there, but this, I've only been doing it since June, and I don't have any tattoos on my body, and I got the message that I am to tattoo brave enough on my body, and I'm like, okay, like, all right, my first one was I am enough, like, the first message I received, you know, and then it was love for everyone, so thank you for sharing that. So, yes, this is what can happen when you do breath work. Yeah. And even for someone like me, who, like the way that I adapted to survive in the world was really to feel nothing. Yeah. And even now, like, just, this is the way that life and our nervous system and trauma, like all interacts with things. And also the way we come into the world. Even when I'm struggling, I'm not the person that's getting anxious and feeling a lot of anxiety. I'll more slip into that more and numbed out. And things start to get very quiet. And the way that I describe it is I feel far away from myself. Like that just happens still. Like there's way more subtlety to it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not leaving myself, but I notice these things and be like 
coming back to something like breathwork will often just spark that light Mm -hmm. back in me to bring me back up to present or in that sort of I can, I will, and I'm okay space. Mm -hmm. And then for people who perhaps, I've worked with many women who they trend more in the sort of looping in the more anxious, high feelings. Again, breathwork is something from a ner- just like from a pure nervous system regulation perspective, and all that all that means. I always try to describe nerve nervous system in the simplest way possible. I view it as your "Am I going to die?" filter. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we're just like moving around, scanning our environment, not consciously. It's just our body does this, always checking for danger or safety. And if you're someone that has whose system has evolved to be a bit more hyper aware or hyper vigilant or hyper-aroused, that's why you're feeling more anxious energy than someone like me who's feeling more of the sad, swampy, ocean-like feelings. Mm-hmm. But for someone who's hanging out more in that space, again, breathwork is an anchor to just like ground yourself and bring yourself back down. I'm always thinking about this, like becoming breathwork is one of these tools that lets you be an active operator of your system. So you can either be present, and if you're just present, then mm-hmm. let's like pump it up, like let's go. But if you're hanging out in the more anxious space, let's drop it down. And if you're hanging out in the more lower, sadder space, let's spark it up. Mm. And just even being able, like in the in my app, like yes, I have these big long soul sessions, like big breathwork journeys that are more like, you know, twenty to fifty where you go in. And I love facilitating those live as well because you get the playlist going, the vibes, mm-hmm. like everyone's crying. It's great. But the wildly practical side of me also loves these kind of short state change sessions where you're just needing like five minutes to drop yourself in or five minutes to pull yourself up. And that's where breathwork can be such a practical tool on the emotional body perspective, speaking the language of the body, bringing it back into a place of something different than perhaps you started. It's a great tool to have. Mm, and the app is beautiful. If someone was to be interested in doing breath work for the first time, where do you send them? What do you suggest for them? Love this question. <laughs> and I love this question because it brings it kind of back to what helped me. Uh, mm-hmm. Like inner child work was one of the things that really cracked me open. And on the Breathwork app, the session I get the most feedback from people is Breathwork for Love, which is the inner child themed session. That's I mean, there's other shorter inner child ones um, and more coming, but there's like a longer one called Breathwork for Love. And that's the one. <laughs> that's the one I would recommend. Okay. Carve out 40 minutes in your day mm-hmm. sometime this week to go and do that session. I don't promise anything, but I promise you won't be disappointed. (laughs) We do promise something will happen. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then like from a state change perspective, if you're someone that needs like more grounding, anything like chill out or ember on there, Mm -hmm. it's good for that. And similarly, if you want something like you and I were talking before this call about having kind of like an HD brain, like high definition, oh my gosh, like here we go. There's a, and it's great for like creativity or work. There's a session called Focus, which is a more sort of high intensity breath work that can get you feeling like buzzy, but in a good Mm -hmm. way. 
Mm. I love it. Are you ready for some rapid fire? Yes. And you okay. sent me these in advance, but I didn't. I was That's like, fine. I'm just going to I'm just totally. gonna go with what comes to me. So Perfect. <laughs> this and- will be a surprise. For some people, they can't handle that. So that's why I send it ahead of time. But like, I am all for the whatever intuitively comes in. So what is your favorite book? (sighs) Oh, my God. Um, This is such an interesting question because I don't actually read. I actually don't read that much, which is kind of an interesting thing. That's okay. The name of the book that just came to mind, it's one of the first ones that I read in my healing journey. And it was a Tara Brach book i think it was called radical radical acceptance i think that's the name of the book from a impact it had on me at the time mm-hmm. huge haven't picked it up but i found it last like the other month i don't we were moving stuff around and i was like oh my god this thing was like it was clearly it had been in my backpack when it had been raining it was all sort of but it was so red like it was mm-hmm. so red and held and opened and reopened. It was such a beautiful wee moment of, oh, that was an important moment. thing for me. So that one, I mm. think it's radical acceptance. Okay. I'll <laughs> look it up. Are you currently reading anything? I am not. <laughs> I am not currently reading anything, but I did recently just like, this is how I guess tastes change, but I'm pulling this because it's like underneath my. <laughs> I read How to Build a Goddamn Empire by mm-hmm. Ali Kriegsman, mm-hmm. How to mm-hmm. Build a Goddamn Empire. And she was just writing about her journey of starting and scaling and then ultimately selling her business. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about it was I've read entrepreneurial books. They're so dry and so boring yep. and so formulaic. <laughs> and this one's got some guts. Like she Mm. goes there, she does not paint herself in the perfect light, which I Mm -hmm. always, to me, whenever I see someone being able able to do that, I'm like, you've met yourself, like on some level to be able to seem, to be seen in your incompleteness and imperfection, you've probably, you've met yourself in some way. So that's the one I've most recently read. Mm. What is one thing you know for sure? That I'll be okay. Yeah. Um, More than okay, but... I'll be okay. That's something that I I feel very, very firm on. Even mm-hmm. like when things are like difficult or struggling or whatever, I yep. always know I'll be okay because I haven't failed yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. I love that. Do you have a favorite quote or poem or anything, any saying that really works for you? Yep, two come to mind. One is comes actually both of these come from my field hockey coach one of them was energy and persistence conquer all things Mm. which at the time i had no idea what it even meant and i've always come back to it energy and persistence conquer all things never saw a wild thing sorry for itself Ooh, say that one again say that one again never saw a wild thing sorry for itself and i love that because Mm. I always like to think of humans as on the ground level, we are creatures and animals who haven't come into contact with humans don't experience trauma because they experience activations or fight or flight in their system, but then they process it immediately and move on and get on with living or surviving. And in contrast, 
humans store our stuff. And yep. so I love that because I love that what I come back to a lot. Well, things are not capable of feeling sorry for themselves. And so that always brings me back to the creature level. And then the one last one, and again, this is from my time at Syracuse. I'm like time traveling here. <laughs> I was really struggling one day and I emailed someone at home being like, I can't do this. And she said, nobody makes you feel inferior without your consent. Hmm. And again, at the time, I don't know, it kicked me in the ass enough to be able to stay. But now when I'm working through things for my business or what's the next thing or all that kind of stuff, and I always come back to that. No one makes you feel inferior without your consent. So those are my three. <laughs> mm, we got some bonus ones. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Well, if you want to connect with Iona, her website will be in the show notes. It is bravething.co. Her Instagram is at Iona Holloway, and she also has at soul.breathwork. Her app in the app store is called Soul Breathwork. It's beautiful. It's really amazing. Is there anything else you want to share about what you're putting out into the world right now? No. Well, I say no, and then I'm like, oh, but this. Um, yeah. Well, one is the Soul Breathwork is free to try for seven days. So mm. love a free trial to just like dip your toe yes. and see how it is. Uh, so give it a go. And then mm. In January, I know that this is coming out before, I am going to be teaching a live muck and gold intensive, which is this kind of live version of soul that I'm doing. And the theme for January is burnout. So Ooh. we're going to be doing a lot of healing, like healing of the nervous system, but also what is the nervous system? Like what's actually going on there? Some of the things we talked about today, but really digging into it and understanding how our system is always responding, how we can reshape it, heal it, and understand it, and also master it. Because often our nervous system and the, the beliefs that rise up from it are often the things that stop us from doing the brave things in mm. our life. Yep. So I'm teaching that in January. It's, if you want to learn more about that, it's soulbreathwork.com forward slash burnout. Okay. Oh. Thank you so much, Iona. Thank you for this incredible conversation. Yeah, of course. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.